Hello and welcome to the Football Podcast with Jambo extraordinaire Paul O'Neill and me, Paul Larkin. We discuss all aspects of Scottish football, serious and not so serious. So sit back, relax and enjoy the crack. by David Bowie. This is the football podcast and it looks like the end of football as we know it. And we're not talking about individual games in Scotland either, but we'll, you know, maybe come on to the end of breaking news. But um, it's another two-hander. 
which you know can be good, bad, indifferent. We shall see. Um, joining me with this uh, two hander is of course the Duke, the, <laughs> the real Duke of Edinburgh, Mister Paul O'Neill. Good afternoon. Good evening. How are you? Well, I mean, I see we're still in mourning. Um, yep. So we, we, you know, we're still doing black armbands and minute silences. When, when exactly is this uh, going to end? Fuck! I don't understand why they had minute silences again and black armbands again. Like taking the merits of whether you should or you shouldn't for royalty or whatever. Anyway, like why is it twice? That's bizarre. I don't know, and I dread to think what's going to happen when the wife fucking snuffs it because if that's occurring, and bear in mind this is on the basis on the basis of the BBC receiving a record number of complaints for the saturation of the coverage, uh, having to put up uh, the rain website link to people who want to complain about it and receiving mm. the worst viewing figures in their entire history people still thought this is a good idea to do and I'll go you one further Paul why on earth did sports scene cover every minute silence in depth like we didn't know what it was and then explain this is for HRH blah 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 and yet when it was Black Lives Matter, they never once explained it correctly why people were taking the knee. <sighs> Pass. I, I don't know. It's, it's no right, though. I, I, don't, I don't understand why the... As I say, I don't understand why the Royal stuff's getting so much cover. Like, uh, you could take your own views or whatever, but it shouldn't be two rounds of games and games getting moved and all that. The games getting moved on the rain was a, was a farce as well but I mean, in terms of the Black Lives Matter stuff I don't think they've ever hit the nail on the head with that to be honest I believe the guy was uh, patron of the FA in about 1950 or something but I can't see even any football connection whatsoever no um, that, he's not even like a, as far as I'm aware like, I've never seen anything like he was a fan of the game or whatever no. whereas like Prince William you'd seen him at the Audaston Villa game or whatever he might be a Gordon Hunter turn up for finals and stuff but <laughs> Yeah, at least see that connection. I've never heard the Prince Philip being involved in football too much. Well, I, I tell you, I'm still not going to be giving him a fucking minute silence, William, uh, if I'm around. Like, I actually did remember during the week that I do have a story about Prince Philip, or in this terms, the Queen's Consort. And this goes back to when the Britannia yacht fucking thing went to the Ocean Terminal for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it was run by a thing called Fourth Ports Authority, right? Which is a very kind of sniffy organisation, fully middle-class wanks that think they own the ocean, you know? But in the midst of this, there were two people, and I thought I would imagine both are dead now, like... One was called Donald MacDonald, right? For Paulton. Donald MacDonald, the clan MacDonald, as he used to introduce himself. Mm. And the other guy was called George Scammell, right? Now, there are two reasons why Fourth Ports Authority indulged these people. One was... George Scammell could build ships made out of matchsticks, right? Of which some, I believe, are still in Ocean Terminal to this day that he built, right? And the second thing is that his niece was Elizabeth McGuinness, who used to be the councillor back then. And so, you know, that was kind of, she's dead now and all like, but... um, So when it came to the Britannia yacht fucking thing going there, uh, Philip was going to do the official opening. Right, mm-hmm. so they were this. I can't remember the boy's name, Terry something or other. It was all they're always going on about this guy. Oh yes, Terry, you know, he knows everything, you know. And um, he thought, oh, fuck, we better give these two fucking idiots a job here, like Ken, because they're always hanging about. But we better keep them miles away from anybody, Ken. <laughs> so basically, what they had them doing was obviously like any boat, there's a gangplank, right? And they would basically tell, 
didn't let anybody go on the gangplank until the fucking uh, Philip turns up himself, right? And even better than that, they weren't like standing at the gangplank ready to greet him or anything. They were actually underneath it, right? <laughs> so basically, they're there, neighbour. And George Scammell, right, was a huge mason, right? And he's bedecked in the Masonic regalia, the belts and, you know, the rings and all that pish, right? Plus the sailor's hat, obviously, you know. And um, and he does look a wee bit like Captain Birdseye as well, with the beard and stuff, right? And with his Donald's, just was just insane, right? So he's a bit like Roy Cropper, you know, Coronation Street, that kind of <laughs> the shopping bag and that, right? So some boys walked on the gangplank, and uh, we I think it was like food and drink for the for the dignitaries, right? So Scammell's shouting up, get off the gangplank, get off the gangplank. And they're shouting back, we're allowed to be on the gangplank. You know, and this is going on and on and on, right? Because, but to be fair to Scammell, he's been told, didn't let anybody own it eh, until the, the, the main dude fucking appears. So fucking Scammell's raging about this, Ken. The next thing, he's, he's just calmed down, he's fucking talking, and he just turns around and he looks up and he sees his feet on the fucking uh, gangplank. He's like, I don't fucking believe it. I fucking told you, cunts. No cunt allowed on a gangplank. Needless to say, it was Philip and the crew, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, what Philip said was, "Is that chap all right down there?" <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's oh, it's been absolutely fucking incredible. All right, so it's um, another Scotch Cup weekend, and I, I did have several thousand requests to bring up the Brora Rangers game because you weren't really. So it pummeled on that um, properly, Paul. But well, no, we'll see everything the day and go in a kind of uh, chronological order. And we'll start with St Mirren 2, Inverness Cali 1. Um, pink shirts again, Paul. Hi, hi. I, I quite like it. It's quite, quite snazzy. Well, if people are they, are they aware, you used to have a, well, I would say pink, you would say salmon shirt that was very, very good at repelling women, which is what your connection is to the pink shirts. <laughs> exactly, I think it's right up my street. Um, yeah, this was a good game going by the highlights yeah, anyway. Uh, I think fair play to Inverness because they never went there to try and like spoil the game or anything. Mm-hmm. They went and attacked them. Aye. Uh, I think I think Simmer were probably the better team overall. Um, but Inverness had chances. A, a few were for distance and stuff. Uh, Scott Allen maybe should have scored as well when he dragged one just wide. Uh, and the defending for Todorov's goal opener, Simmer would probably oh. be raging at that to be honest. But um, and, and fair play to them for coming for coming back. Like, uh, they, they kept away. But um, it was a really good open game of football. I, I enjoyed it. And of course, the winning goal was scored by Marcus Fraser, who's ex Ross County. So, That's right, aye. Yeah. You know, sure enjoyed that one. A wee, bit, um, a wee bit a needle there, I should say. But ex Celtic, actually, he was actually all right when he played with Celtic, but he never really got a chance. Um, and that's gone back 10 years, I know. So, um, Motherwell won Morton one. Now, I didn't even realise, till, you know, such was my interest in the game on Friday. That both teams scored in 120 minutes the extra time. Well, it doesn't really happen very often. No, um, I think looking at the highlights as well, I think it's about the only thing that actually happened. Aye. Uh, the first half highlights, I think, had one shot, Aye. and it was right with the second half. Motherwell looked like they had a few half chances and were probably the better team, as you'd expect, at mm. home to a team like Morton. But um, aye, they scored in the 121st minute. They probably, probably were uh, rightly thinking that was game done. Aye. But then the marking for the, the equalisers, oh. I don't know if they were tired or whatever, but it was a free header. Aye, and then it obviously goes to penalties, and O'Donnell, who scored the goal in extra time, wins it with a penalty after McGinty missed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was a strange scene, this for the Scottish Cup. And that. Um, 
And the other tie then on Friday was 4 for nil, uh, Dundee United won, which I think, you know, for what I saw of the game, it felt as though Dundee United, as soon as they scored, it was, it was pretty kind of comfortable. It wasn't really... Aye, aye. It was a really poor game, to be honest. The second half was slightly better than the first. Um, Dungeon United sort of huffed and puffed though in the first half and mm. never really done much. The, the keeper made one good save that I, I remember, um, for goalie. And Forfa had a couple, of, like they started pretty brightly, but after about 10 minutes, they kind of just sat defensively and tried to block United. United probably should have, in the end, won by a couple more, but their finishing was pretty poor. Um, I th- it wasn't a great game at all, but Dungeon United don't care. They've done what they had to. Well, they that's, can be and, uh, despite what James McFadden says about them hoping to get a home tie, despite the fact that obviously the draw's been done, and despite the fact I couldn't believe he was co-commentating again, um, and I thought to myself, you know, cause if turn on this Hibs game, if he's on here, I'm going to put the fucking telly at the window, and we'd be some with Kevin Kyle, probably the only man stupider than James McFadden in Scottish football, I might add. <laughs> um, but aye uh, and similar Kermanic Kim, 3 Montrose 1 you know pretty one sided a lot of good saves to the Montrose goalie and, and Lafferty scoring again aye aye but I think um, it was it's pretty much as comfortable as you get but I actually thought Mort and, uh, Montrose sorry, looked alright in spells considering, mm. considering they were the, a, a League 1 team they had a couple of half chances themselves, and if, if it wasn't for better, if, uh, poor finishing, they might have made it a bit closer. There was one in particular, I think it was a young boy on one for Dundee United, Mockery. Mm. He tried to take a touch, and he just got away from him. But I Kelly got a couple of early goals as well. In these games, that really helped settle nerves and sort of take any sting out of it. Thoroughly, thoroughly deserve one in the end. I've always actually had a uh, wee tiny soft spot for Montrose, and it's only been on the basis of... I had a night's bevy in there one time and I met two Montrose fans and they were, you know, hardcore fans and they were just telling me all the stories, Ken. Older mm-hmm. guys. And some of it was fucking hilarious. They were talking about like things like when, uh, you know, their big derbies Arbroath, obviously. And mm-hmm. like, they were telling me things like when they took a boat to Arbroath, Ken, for the <laughs> game and things like that with a carry and stuff. And and uh, he says, oh, the boy said to me, I had to knock back a few guys because uh, it was only like our own boat and we had a fair fucking amount of drink on it. Like, Ken, didn't know what to capsize the fucking thing. And he was like saying all this, you know, like, I'm not saying this to be funny or entertain you. I'm just telling you exactly what happened, Ken. Um, <laughs> it was fucking good. Uh, now, Aberdeen 2, Livingston 2, Stephen Glass's first game. Now, I've got to say, and of course, I know I can take you back to 1984 in a heartbeat, but I can't remember what the fuck I was watching last night. Or oh, it was the, the semi-final of the FA Cup. So I was tuning yeah. in back and forth, and I kind of left it as Clivey being one up. And forgot all about it. And the next thing I fucking checked, it's Aberdeen 2, Livingston 2, and Aberdeen have won on penalties. Um, obviously, uh, Joe Lewis was injured initially. What do you think of the challenge? I don't know. I don't think there's any malice. I think the boy kind of stumbled mm. as he went for the header. It looked a sore one, like, because right in the ribs. Uh, but that's obviously a ball for Aberdeen if he's out for any period of time. He's a good goalkeeper. But uh, I don't think there was any malice in the actual challenge, personally. Um Gary Woods came on, done no bad. Um, Camberry actually finally scored a goal. He did, hi, he did. Um, couldn't really miss, I suppose, but mm-hmm. I wonder, it'll be interesting to see if he kicks on a bit under glass. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not been he's not been great for him so far. Um, I think uh, that G. Emmanuel Thomas is starting to look like a decent player. I don't know if it's fitness or whatever. Well, in the games I mean, he played really well, didn't he? He looks confident. Although penalty was never a penalty in that game. No, no, never. I mean, that's fucking ridiculous. Um, of course, so actually, I mean, Jason Holt, fucking sitter. Um, and then of course the uh, Ross McCrory won it. Um, mm. 
And I think Livingston will probably feel a bit like we could have done them the day, like you know what I mean. I, I think as well that's I can't I totally understand why it's all extra time right away rather than replays and stuff. But like Livingston would have probably fancied winning that tie at home. I think as well if mm. they, if they got them back. Uh, but I, I, th- I thought Livingston would probably the better team. It can be hard to tell on highlights and stuff, but I think seeing, they'll be disappointed with it. Are you seeing a different dynamic in these games because they're on the um, replays? It's just going to finish. I think so. You could, teams had to go for it a bit now, mm. and, and you could tell. You could tell in some of the games. I think like um, Livingston obviously started the game pretty well. So when they took the lead, I don't know if the tendency was to sit back a wee bit, but. It was, mm. This kind of negates what I'm saying, but they maybe should have been pushing Aberdeen, I think, because uh, I think Aberdeen would be there for the taking. I can't help but think, I know, when I see games like this with Livingston, that if Scott Robinson was in, still in the fold, they'd probably win. Like, yeah, um, yeah, you get them all up top. Massive aye, work rate as well, which aye, exactly. if, you have that, if you have that for the front, it, it sort of feeds through to the midfield and stuff as well. So I, I do think they miss him. Um, St Johnson to Clyde. Now, the, the, the only thing I want to talk about is this. This was Clyde's 10th game in 14 days. That's ridiculous. I mean, what the fuck? I know. Well, talking about like uh, schedules and that as well, like Montrose had to play on Thursday night Mm. and then because of the Prince Philip thing, they had to play less than 48 hours, which is ridiculous. But at the end of the day, if if you could reschedule it, it's no telly. Why not play at half five or something? At least give them the full full two days. I mean, they're already part-time teams, you know what I mean? It's It's a big ask for them. I reckon, like me, you remember at the start of the season conversations about Scottish football along the lines of, Christ, if we lose any fixtures, we are screwed here, like, we've got names screwed whatsoever. Yet, you know, some old gadget fucking dies in London and it's like, oh, what do you need, you know? Fucking unreal. Uh, coming on to the, the today, Stranraer now Hibs 4. I've already mentioned Kevin Kyle, but that I thought, nothing mere can upset me in this game now, right? Because I'm not really bored to fuck about it. But it did, and I'll tell you what it is. It was the arrival of one of Scotland's most hated players, Jamie Hamill. <laughs> we I didn't even know the day. He wasn't expecting it. Didn't realise he was there. Nothing. And when he came on, it was that way where, you know, when you're in the booze and somebody says, oh, you Ken Big Davy fucking Turnbull, eh? And you're like, who the fuck did I Ken that name for? And then they tell you, you go, all oh, right, of course I. That's what it was like. It was Jamie Hamill. Who the fuck did I know that for? And then, boom, I've seen him. I thought, oh, fuck. Aye, even honestly, I didn't think I've seen a player have a, a bigger love hate relationship with fans and well, when he can, got hurt. Well, can you just remind me? Because this, what was the fucking thing that happened to him at Tynecastle when he started fighting with our manager? Aye, <laughs> he knocked Derek Adams on his arse. It was absolutely. Bro- it was genu- generally uh, the best thing he done in a heart shot. It was fucking brilliant. <laughs> he ran like forty yards and then shot like chested him, pushed his chest, to it and knocked knocked Adams over. Like everybody <laughs> went mental. It was brilliant. But he was, he was a narky wee bastard, Hamill. Oh, like, God, Mindy scored in the Scottish Cup run in 2012. Uh, it was a big goal. And he went mental. He started kicking the advertising board and that. Like he was... Kind of, <laughs> like Kispire. Uh, pound bland Kispire, <laughs> Um And Hibs, you know, 4-0. I mean, they were very comfortable once the first goal went. And it was, um, it was a huge golf in class. Martin Boyle won another day. Probably could have scored five or six. Um, Nisbet as well missed a few chances. Aye, especially in the first half, they had one that he kind of tried to side foot and just got away from him. Hibs not come through. And these games, I think teams maybe have to get to half time like Stronger just to try and give them something to fight for. But the goal, sort of no one before half time, kind of kills it. Mm. Um, Hibs and I think tiredness maybe took over or whatever. Aye. Or 
Hibbs ran away with it and then the boy at the end though like, gave away the penalty I think he was trying to get himself sent off because his tackle about mm. 30 seconds before it was an absolute shocker Aye. and then he booted, uh, booted the boy in the box that's Boyle again I think in the box mm-hmm. for the penalty it's fucking bizarre um, and I, you strap yourself into the chair the now Paul because I know this will upset you but I, I do want to pay tribute to the Hibs fans who made the Germany Dunia stand <laughs> outside um, and I believe had a banner of people that had uh, passed away with all their names yeah. on um, I think it's it's really good to, for people to do that now because they can do that you know mm-hmm. that's allowed they're, they're allowed to do that um, and I do think it could easily be argued well how can 30 people sit in a church but we 30 people can't stand it sitting in a football ground you know mm-hmm. um, which is it's all but fair play to them you know because you know there's no guarantee with that is it you could have a really Stuffy police force, like, right? Come on, use me, you know, that kind of It's not exactly. I mean, I, I recognise a few of the faces, I'll not mention any names, but they didn't exactly live local to Strand Rath, so it could have easily have been a a blind alley they went doing, but you know, fair play. Yeah. I know other clubs have, have done it as well. And of course, uh, the last game, Safeco 2 Celtic. Now, did you actually see the game? I've seen um, just the goals. I've not seen the whole game because we're recording right I mean, after it finishes and we're Celtic, let's get, I mean, first of all, it's team selection, horrific, right? Now, among my circle of people, who's, which is pretty small, uh, talking about Celtic, we all said, you know, the big chance we have is a Forest place. Not just the fact if he plays good, bad or indifferent because he knows how to play the wide position, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't he? And you think, oh, fuck. And then you see he's decided to play Lax out. He was another one who just doesn't know how to stay in his position at all. You know, you get people who watch football and go, oh, he's a good player, am I? See that? Listen, if you're playing centre-half, you need to know where your fucking left-back's going to be all the time, and you didn't. And you see the horses arse made the, um, the second one. You know, you're kind of looking at Celtic, the number of chances. I've never seen Celtic create as many good chances in one game this season. You know, you've got mm-hmm. to see six or seven absolute guilt-edged chances and miss them all. You miss a fucking penalty. You know, the first goal is a fucking deflection that comes right to the boys' feet. The second goal is an OG. You know, you're thinking it's no our day, it's no our season and all the rest of it. But, you know, these are avoidable things. I mean, the Huns done exactly what they done at New Year, which, which, which was completely get dominated in the game, but be clinical. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference in mentality. Um, I, think, I think that's one of the things that when... I mean, you're in the kind of run there on as well, though. Like they believe that they'll get the chance and they believe right. they'll take it. Like, Absolutely. Whereas, and and then inevitably they do. I've not, I've, as I say, I've not seen the game, but I, I do. I was reading about McGregor making good saves and oh, stuff. So I mean, chances. That's like, Yeah, you've got guys one on one with McGregor and taking bad touches. You know, you've got fucking uh, Edward standing six yards for goal and decides to hit it with the side of his fucking heel rather than just batter it into the ground or into the net. Um, you know, I, one thing I will say, and I know it's this double jeopardy or whatever, but you know, the, the penalty, I don't know how the fuck Aribo stays on the patch. You know, Griffiths is about to put the ball in the net, he just pushes him off the ball and it's, it's six yards out. There's no need near him. So, you know, you've got to be right. The thing about it, I mean, they, they obviously scored early. Celtic reacted brilliantly, you know, fucking three or four phenomenal, carving them up, you know. But as I say to you, the problem is Christie, right? When Christie plays, Christie is a terrible football player, right? He's a glory hunter. He's a fucking plays for himself. And what happens is, he's supposed to be the wide on the right, but he doesn't. He thinks, oh no, I can do what I want. Because he gets that free roll with Scotland, I'll do the same. And he drifts inside all the time. He's look, You can yourself, he's always looking for that shot, that, that kind of curl it in the top corner type shot, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm. But what that does is, it doesn't protect John Joe Kenny, who's not the best fucking player by any stretch of the imagination, and it nullifies the space that Turnbull likes to work in, or whoever, but Turnbull today. And that completely starts to fucking deduce A, for your attacking threat, and B, from your defensive duties, of which he doesn't seem to think he's got any. People like John Joe Kenny, I mean, John Joe Kenny was getting the ball, and there was acres of space in front of him on the right, but Christie's drifted in, and John Joe Kenny's no that natural attacking fullback. So he's kind of gone, what do I do now? And inevitably, he's cutting the ball back, and you're fucking screaming, you can't say, you're like, run into the fucking space. Give yeah. some width. Um, and that was all, I, I put that on the sort of table with a few people, uh, including a, a, a hunter, no. Because I thought that's all, that's what will happen. I said if we didn't, I said we'll still create all the chances, but we'll know. I said if Forrest plays, he'll be able to drag the defence out wide. That mean that'll mean the chances will get eventually converted because they'll be so good. Having said that, they were so good, you know. And uh, but again, you know, it's got to be said that the fucking body language of Edward was appalling. You know, he's getting, you know, he's got great chances and all the rest of it, and it's like somebody comes near him, he's getting the ball taken off him, he's kind of shrugged the shoulders. The penalty, mm. fucking, he tells Griffiths he's taking it and he basically passes the ball back to McGregor. You know, McCoy used to say, oh, it's a great penalty save. It's not a great save. It's a fucking easy save for a goalkeeper, you know? I mean, you, you would think in that point, in that game, you, you know, McGregor's thinking, like, oh, he's got to do is he one way or the other. Just do what he done in the cup final. Can I mean? Mm. Because he'll never expect it. And if it, it scores that, we've a great, I'm not saying we're going to win the game, we've a great chance to take it an extra time because they were done. You know, they were spent. And we had nullified their threats, say Morelos and, and Kent and all that. Stephen Wells, I thought, had a fantastic game. Um, but again, Laxell, I mean, El Yunusi, I've said it before the last home game, I've said it again, that cannot play that position. He just can't play that. He wants to do the same things as Edward does. Where was he today? He was playing off of Edward, but he wants to be the guy that somebody plays off. So he's mm. got, you know, if Edward, he's always got to drop deep. So he's, El Yunusi has to be the guy that runs past him. Um, and then, and then the one time he done it, Edward laid on a plate for him for six yards, and he managed to stumble over the fucking ball. And it's just you know fucking hell. But uh, one thing I would say is that um, if, had we won the day and progressed in the cup, it would have only papered over the cracks, obviously. Um, mm. And we need to get real um, about this because I I seen it myself creeping where all of a sudden it's John Kennedy this and John Kennedy that and it should be like, no, John Kennedy leave is what should happen. You know, um You think if he'd won the cup it would have given him a, a shout at I think him. if he won the cup there was every chance he would have done what they'd done with Neil Lennon two years ago. You know, which is oh, and, and then you just be like, hey mate, I mean I genuinely I'll come on to it at the end, but Dominic Mackay was there and um I'm kind of like fucking, you know, you need to, you I, do you have any concept of the job you've got in your hands? I do not know. Um, but I, so, but at the end of the day, no matter how good you are, how much possession, how many chances, you didn't put the ball in it, you didn't deserve to win and, and they deserve to win and that's basically it. But talk me to Dominic Kai, and this follows on for our discussion last week, Paul, which was about season tickets and had quite a few people, not in a nasty way, uh, strangely, and I must say, actually, this comes in the week we're talking about nastiness. You know, I always thought when we'd done this show that I would be the one, as usual, to be on the end of the torrency abuse and stuff like that. But this week, Paul, you were called the Spawny Satan. 
<laughs> you were called the love child of Craig Levine and Anne Budge, which is a horrifying, horrifying <clears throat> spectacle. And um, it was from someone who, when I asked you about the person, said you said it's basically what I would call an acquaintance. No, I, I know I know him relatively well, but uh, it was I was the same guy as well. We both insults, yeah. so we friends like that. I don't know, I don't know what you expect. But so you're the, regarding the, the, this the guy as a friend the, now. What was that, sorry? Are you regarding this guy as a friend? I'd say so, aye. I'm a family friend. Because I mean, how this started, I've had a a horrific week, you know, compounded by the day, obviously. But it was kind of, as we, you know, we talked about um, Paul's tardiness last week and uh, got a wee bit of feedback on that. It was, you know, let's just say I'm not the only person that's experienced that tardiness. So... Um, that kind of was this, the, the snowball effect of the week that I ended up having, which seems to be never-ending at the minute. Um, I added on to, I mean, I had a situation, I'd rather keep private, but some people know. Added to that, what I've also heard this week is 90 to 100 text messages a, a day with people saying hello and all this kind of thing, really bizarre. I have then had people contacting me on eBay asking me where items that never existed are. Um, so you think some days, you know, as the, as they say in um, the do doing coming to cunt, which is no the first time it's happened to me. But um, as I say, I, I kind of blame Paul for that because he has got a kind of evil side that um, he tries to mask very well on this show. But it was good to get that confirmation, Paul, that you are in fact a tosser. Um, <laughs> but I so this so so the, what I was saying is the feedback of the season tickets as well. We were saying, you know, clubs are staring at the abyss here and I don't think they know what the fuck they're doing. And of course, some people some people said, you know, not, not in a nasty way, well, what, what would you do, you know? So we'd say, okay, we'll come up with some ideas. Um, now, obviously, I have to throw a caveat in here, Paul. My club's different to your club and your club's different to that club and so on and so on and so on. Some season decoders might be absolutely delighted with how their things are going or such and such. Um, I would suggest, and I'll, I'll come on to kind of Celtic first because that's all, all I know, is that um, a lot of Celtic are pretty unhappy, right, with the way yeah. it's done. Now, we've kind of covered, covered all that and the whole past the paradise pish, and I should say at this point, I said it to you, I never, I wasn't thinking, so I, I don't know if people realise as well that um, Sky are only covering two more games this season in Scotland. I find that bizarre. There's still four fixtures left. It's I mean, so we've got a full midweek card this week. They're not covering a game. Uh, they're not covering anything next weekend. The following weekend, they're covering uh, Sevco against Celtic, May the 2nd. And then the last game they're covering is on May the 15th. It's a Sevco's prof- um, trophy presentation. And that's it. Yeah, that's two two games with four rounds of fixtures left. I mean, it's fucking it's, pathetic, isn't it? It's and, 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 Especially the relegation battle, eh? I know. Why is that? Come on. One of the few things they can play for. I know. And the other thing about it is that then means if people want to look at games, you know, they're going to have to pay pay-per-view if it's an away game, which, I'm sorry, I looked at the Aberdeen, we're playing Aberdeen away on uh, Wednesday, 12 and 9, there's no chance I'm paying that. That should be mm. a blanket, I mean, it's basically not to play, that should be a blanket fiver. Celtic also asked Aberdeen if they would move the game to 6 o'clock and they said no. <laughs> you know um, and it's kind of like I mean I don't think it's incumbent now on Celtic to, to buy into Aberdeen and say gear us the game and for our fans it's quite frankly I don't think it's worth it but 12 and 9 I'm sorry it's like you know gee's a fucking break it's a fucking dead rubber 
you know? I know. It's yeah, um, it's ridiculous. But I can't I can't really say anything but that hurts pricing for the pay per view games has been scandalous all season, so I but yeah. remind us that your you as a scene decoder do get them for nothing. Well Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Okay. I, but anyway, so my so Loads of problems with the Celtic season tickets, not just the price, although that's a huge problem, because we are paid the most expensive season tickets in Scotland, <laughs> apart from Seco, by a fair mark. So, ideas, right? So here's my idea, and you've got a wee bit of experience here, Paul, because I've been with you in Munich, um, and then my idea is season tickets for sections, right? That's my mm-hmm. first idea. Now, how this would work is, you would buy a ticket for, let's say, Celtic Park, the North Stand Lower, right? And every section that was seen tickets for, Celtic would then leave a thousand tickets that could be sold to punters who can't afford season tickets, right? Game to game. And there's a reason for this. Now, first of all, we can do it because the only games that we will need it for is the CFO games where hopefully they'll be back to normal and they'll be, um, you know, made away fans in, right? So, first of all, we need to bring back the concept of going with your mates to the football. Right, which season ticket culture really Disney, you know, there's nothing better. It's it used to be the working class um, release at the weekend. You work all week and then you go meet your pals, have a few pints, go to the game, come out, have an arc of pints, go home, end the story, no problem. Right, hard to do that if you're not actually gone to physically gone with the gate, you know, sitting beside the person. Whereas if you could say, right, Paul, I'll I'll be in the fucking section, blah blah blah, the North Stand Lower at half two. You know, you could say, all right, brilliant, I'll come along and fucking sit beside you and whatever and have a crack. Secondly, it rewards people who go on early, right? And people who go on early, I'll tell you, because I go on early, it's partly my um, sort of pre-match ritual, is they buy stuff, right? They buy pies and bovrols and juice and all the rest of it. So you want people to come in. And I'm hoping that at some point this could kind of envelope us bringing back some sort of form of alcohol so people can have a couple of pints, you know, while we're mm-hmm. waiting. The other thing about it is, let's just say I meet Joe Bloggs for Valencia on holiday and we start talking and blah, blah, blah. And he says, why don't you come over and see Valencia with me? And I'm like, ah, come over and see Celtic. Now, what kind of experiences is that guy going to have if I've got my way back in the Lisbon line stand sitting on his own? having to look for where he's gone, or if he's sitting beside me, or, or jokes aside, and I'm saying and telling him a wee bit about the history of the club, certain players, you know, the opposition and so on, I would like to think that he's got to go away and go, that's fucking brilliant. You know, and okay. similarly, I would the same as Valencia, and you might start to look at Valencia's results, you might fucking buy, ah, you know what, I'm going to get myself a Valencia top, and you might have a wee affinity for that club, because somebody sold it to you, whilst you're sitting at the game. Mm-hmm. Um. I also think atmospheres are better when you're surrounded by people you know. You're you're more relaxed, you're more likely to I think you said yourself where you've challenged people at games for, for shocking comments or whatever. You might have thought twice because maybe you were on your own or you were just yeah. with one pal, but if there's five or six you say, here mate, fucking stop it again, etc. And they sing in and so on. Um and the caveat is as well for me, is you would also lessen complaints because if you didn't like the punter next to you, you could just move and go and sit somewhere else. You know, simple as that. Now, if anybody's screaming at this podcast right now saying, but what about my seat? I've had it for 25 years. I'm going to say something to you now, which is, it's no your seat. It's the club's seat that you lease for them, right? And this is about the good 
a Celtic football club, right? It's not about where you feel comfortable or where you've always sat or how you've always done things because that's what's got us in this fucking mess that we're in right now, thinking the same things just work forever, right? And lastly, what I'll say about that, Paul, is there has to be a method at Celtic beyond this, these daft finance companies that allows people to spread the cost of season tickets. Because the daisy asking people gear 600 quid right now is a fucking joke. That has to be gone forever. And, you know, I will recoil if Celtic come out with the same tired bullshit about, oh, we need to come back and then gear 600 quid. Forget it. Just fucking forget it. We need to think dynamically. But that's my take on uh, Celtic, Paul. What about yourself? I think um, quite a lot of the stuff is quite similar that I, I was thinking of. First off, I, I actually slipped my mind about the section in Germany, which is a perfect example. Mm. But the top thing for me was allowing people who, maybe, I know this is about season tickets, but allowing people who aren't season ticket holders chances to sit with season ticket holders. Aye. Like Whether you're accommodating them, able to move tickets to a block or whatever, I think it's a massive part of the game. Because it, if you're trying to encourage, as you say, if you're trying to encourage somebody to come on to a game, Where's the fun in it from if you're saying, oh, you're sitting on your own in that Absolutely. stand? I tell you, because we've all been in that situation. Mm-hmm. You bring somebody to a game who doesn't know the score and you're like, I meet you at such and such and then suddenly they're not there and you kind of get a phone signal because there's fucking 10, you know. We had, um, my wife's pals are from Pamplona, like she, she works with Alassie and they wanted to go to a Harps game because they stayed in Gorgie. So we got them tickets and stuff but when we went in they never understood they weren't sitting with us. Mm-hmm. So then they had to go away and there was just two of them that sat and like, after the guy says he really enjoyed it, he says, but I spent time sort of like Googling who players were and stuff because he wasn't mm. sure. But if you're sitting with him, you can just tell them who ah. they are and, and keep them up to speed and it doesn't take away from their enjoyment in the game. I mean, as far as so, I'm concerned, Paul, the best ambassadors clubs have are the fans. Yep, right? 100%. How, I mean, Celtic, I mean, I, I, I can only, I don't be like, oh, fucking Celtic again. Look, I support Celtic, Paul supports Hearts, we take anybody's opinion. Let's face it, we're not going to get anyone to say cool fans, that's just the way it works. But my experience, the connections that Celtic fans have made with different clubs has been the thing that became became the affinity, right? Because, all right, our identity, vastly being eroded by the Tory cunts on the board, are, you know, Irish and Catholic and, and all this kind of thing, right? And that does attract kind of left-wing people to us, like St. Pauli and that. But I've seen, you know, with Dortmund and uh, German Olekeren and all that kind of thing. You know, your punters go... And they fucking make, create a good impression, you know. It makes people think that actually they're all right, you know. Right. Well, I, I, exactly. I know guys that um, I know guys that made pals when Hearts played Feyenoord, and some of the Dutch boys have been over to watch mm-hmm. us, and guys that made pals when we were playing Sparta Prague, mm-hmm. they've came over to watch us and stuff. And it's exactly fan, fans will try. Like, I've done it once at times. Take people who aren't Hearts fans that are maybe new to Edinburgh or whatever. Mm-hmm. I've taken them to games or got them tickets or whatever because I want them to try and. I like to try and sell my club like it's a good atmosphere you'll enjoy it. Mm. <laughs> most of the time the football's push but that's, that's by the by um, and if you're asking people to pay for, um, 25 quid for a ticket to sit on the rain it's just no enjoyable it's no and I think I think as well though in terms of other changes it could make um, alcohol I think it just seems to me like such a no-brainer to allow it it's not the 80s where you're taking in a, a six-pack and a bottle of whiskey right you're probably paying five pounds for a pelly push to be honest Aye. but it's income for the clubs. You can have right. an official beer sponsor or whatever. Mm-hmm. And people will, especially in the, the warmer months, will get there a bit earlier and spend money at the club. Whereas I go to the Dickers before games and absolutely I'd leave earlier if I could get a pint and give hearts a, a five, you know what I mean? Uh, plus, 
I think they've got to try and do things to get people in the ground or around the stadium earlier and spending their money in the club because if you, if you turn up now, generally it's you turn up, watch a game and go home and that's that's it. Like, but there's tons of people with families in that and Aye. you might be able to keep like, kids engaged. So have like beat the goalie in the, the, the plaza at Tynecastle or whatever or places to like you can win a prize by buying a t- you know I mean, just some... Something. See, see the thing as well, Paul, right? And there'll be people who shout about all these fuck. What about remember all these fucking drunks at games that can't handle drink? I want to say something to you if you're saying that. I can handle drink. Mm. I've made a cunt of myself, but for the main, I can handle drink. So why why am I punished because some half wit can't? I think, there's, I that, think there's two things to that argument as well, though, right? Is I've I've been in the pub when we took minutes to kick off, mm. and people will just cram extra bevy in. They'll get a shot or something and like knock it back. Whereas if you have kind of a leisurely pint at the stadium, you, A, you're getting the club money and you're probably drinking less. And the, uh, the other part of that is, I've thought about it before, like maybe if I've went to a concert the same night as I've been at a game, I'm trusted to go to that concert and have a, a drink. Mm-hmm. But I'm not trusted to go to the football. What's the difference? And we all know, that, I mean, everybody knows there's more arrests and bother at concerts than there ever is at any football matches, you know, but I've got back to the odd occasion. But it's, it's the same thing. It's freaking anything, though. You can go to a concert, you can go to the, the pictures and have a beer, you can go to fucking... Uh, you can go to a, a live event like the rugby or something after the football if you wanted to and you could drink so why are you the same person uh, why are you a different person sorry when you go to the football you're no and the, see, see, but, the but problem why, is why people are responsible the problem is and this is a slight tangent but the, the, the polis have far too much influence on football and the polis go into every single discussion in football matches with the intention of what makes it easier for us Right, the police would want every single person to drive up in their car, not have a drink, walk into the game, watch the game, and walk back out and go home. That's all they want, right? But as you say, I mean, when I grew up, I went on the supporters bus, and we all, you know, when I got of age to drink that, we all met early doors, fucking Haymarket, went to the Dickens, few pints here, Ryrie's open, few pints here, through to Chapel Hall, few pints here, into the game with all the whole team, and then. Fucking same again. We go something quite good tonight. I will go here, there, and everywhere, and it was fucking brilliant. You know what I mean? You get your half of my books are full of that kind of stuff. And the thing about that is, what used to happen was people looked out for each other as well within that. See if somebody even you know this is like, I hate to say it again for social media phones and all that, but if somebody wasn't there to follow me, everyone where the fuck is he? You know, and you know there was a communal thing about it. I think as well that you're you're punishing clubs. For the behaviour of the other fans that you're worried about. So like you might be worried about violence or fans over the top at a heart sub game, right? But why does that mean? Like, why don't you just ban like, like, having the alcohol at certain games in that case that you're worried about? Why Why can a Montrose fan no go to play for for another pint? And you're doing these clubs out of money. Right. It's not going to kick off, you know it's, what I mean? It's the way. I, I tell you a story actually about Tyne Castle. And it was. Uh... It was the game Hertz won one nil against Celtic in two thousand May two thousand, and it was basically kept Hertz up right. So I can't remember who scored the goal for Hertz that day, but when they scored right, there was a boy sitting to my right as I'm sitting in the Celtic end right, and I remember him because he had really big hair, no like spiky punk. I mean, just no being cut for ages right. And he was giving it all. It was sitting on his own, hurts the phone, right? Ugly bastard as well. I don't know what you say, but just you know, twenty five or something. And he's and he ran when Hertz scored, right? He ran on the fucking pitch, and pretended he was machine gunning the Celtic support, right? So he literally then got hoyed out and all that kind of thing, right? So Celtic went fucking bananas about it, right? Absolutely bananas. 
and it was Chris Robinson who was in charge at the time, right? And he said, well, the problem is, the guy isn't a season ticket holder, so we can't really identify him because he just came in, paid cash for his ticket and bought it. Okay, right? The next game, we went back, we won 4-2 this time. In fact, Chris came off the bench that day. The guy was sitting in the same fucking seat. And that's to me, and like, I couldn't give a fuck. That things like that didn't bother me. I've had all sorts of abuse at Tin Castle and all that. But it's, you know, w- what are your priorities? <laughs> you know, that's the sort of daft cunts. You're like, we didn't need them in football. We didn't need them in fucking society, quite frankly. And I say, I say that on every angle and side. But it, it just feels to me as at clubs, the last priority is the entertainment of their fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I remember as well going back to like the, the things to help with season tickets. Like my first few season tickets, like I used to get like a big book of discounts almost attached to it, like ten percent off a strip or mm-hmm. like a free pie or you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like and I it probably cost the club a, a few quid, but it's, it's something giving, giving something back. You get none of that now. Nah, like nothing. everything's full price. I was looking at our kits now, right? It's two three games left in the season. Every kit's still full price. Like why is the local team? You know what I mean. It's like the, I mean, Celtic are exactly the same. You don't get anything from it. There's no loyalty scheme. You know, there's no point scheme like a supermarket when you buy stuff. Um, we used to back in the nineties get a travel card that allowed you on any train in the west of Scotland <laughs> for free. That was Fergus. It was like you know, you know, people have to get to the games, and he done it because the travel links to Celtic Park are shocking and still are. Now, I know, you know, I've dug into it for years and Celtic obviously it's a council, they just won't support fucking anything and blah, blah, blah and all the rest of it. But, and at one time they used to run buses to the city centre for London Road, eh, no for London Road, sorry, the Gallagate. And, you know, again, show your season ticket, boom. And bit by bit, that's now become fuck all. Mm. Absolutely fuck all. The other thing that that's, gets on the go to a lot of Celtic supporters is, we run our away tickets differently to, to we run our European away tickets. So, in other words, your attendance at away games means nothing in terms of your attendance at European away games. And I would say, that's fucking ridiculous. And they would, and they would say, I bet these guys are going every... I said, I but I could go to every European away game if I didn't go to any away games in Scotland. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying not... I mean, there's plenty of people that go to both and all the rest of it, but I know fucking... I know, at least four people I could name off the top of my head to, to take advantage of that, that you, you only ever see at a European game, you know. And it, so it basically diminishes your season ticket value, right? Mm-hmm. And now we have, this is another thing, and I'm, I'm sure this probably knows bad it hurts, but this is what Celtic all the time is. You have no fucking idea when the fixtures are going to be played. Mm. We reserve the right to move them. We reserve the right to do whatever the fuck we want. You know, we reserve the right to boot on Christmas Eve because that's how we feel like it. We reserve the right to move a kickoff time because Peter Laurel's got a restaurant reservation. I mean, that's. I think, I think if you're moving stuff like that, it should there should be a minimum period before the game that you're allowed to do it, and after that passage, you can't change it. Exactly. And the other thing about that, Paul, for me is how long before people go, what is the point of buying me, me buying a scene ticket when I, I have to work this, this, and this because the fixture's being changed? It actually would cost me less just to buy match to match. Mm-hmm. And people might say, well, you can't do that. Well, you'll be able to do it quite easily if fucking folk work out they're getting shafted and then they buy season tickets, you know what I mean? I mean, I really I really do think there has to be um, a huge rethink, not just to say, I mean, across the board. Um, I've seen the prices of other teams. Some teams are great. 
some other teams are not so great. Um, and uh, I remember I have a conversation with an Aloha guy, somebody who worked at Aloha, and they have, it's like 20 quid to get in. You know, I'm like, mate, what would fucking entice somebody to do that? Didn't they normally go there? And went with her, mate, there's 40 quid before they've bought a pint of beer. I mean, are you fucking kidding me on here, you know? Mm. It needs to be, and it's the same. It's because I say, and it's allowing clubs to fucking rip off people with this people viewing that, which is shocking. There's a guy I know actually, but just finally final on this. He's never bought a pay per view game this season. He said, I just point blank refuse, you know? Um, okay, so this kind of segues into this because um, you get what it says. It's our online output of Scottish clubs. Now, what I was thinking about here, Paul, was, and I'll bring it over to you, is, is, is when you, when Hertz had won the league, and you were like, it's the most flat thing ever, and I kind of looked at the Hertz um, output, which I'm able to do on the football app because I'm banned on the my own personal thing. I'll have to get on to him to make sure you get back um, to that. So. Uh, uh, there was just a com- colossus of people going nuts about Nielsen and so on, right? Now, obviously, tons of experience of that at Celtic this season. You know, there was people just, um, if you remember, doing the kind of Ghostbuster badges with Lennon's face, etc. Do you actually think the people who run Twitter websites have any idea about football at all? <sighs> Some of them obviously do. Some... I think try too hard or try to be like mm. be sort of funny when it's not really their job to be funny. And right. there's nothing worse for me than like official channels try to have banter with fans. You know what I mean? Like I, that's mm. not what they're there for. No. Like by all means, like engage with them. I think I think support engagement is actually something that every club that I've seen could do far better with. Oh god, aye. Like in terms of like they make a big song and dance about listening to fans and stuff but there's never any actions off the back of these decisions or suggestions it's all thanks for the feedback or but nothing actually ever changes that's a, that's a sort of different point but uh, the, the social media thing like, I, I get it like Hearts had to we'd won the league Hearts had mm. to post something you know what I mean you, you couldn't just ignore it like it never happened but right away it's just Nielsen out but all that stuff because Winning, winning the league was always going to happen. It's not going to paper over the, the cracks that people think are there. Mm-hmm. And it was the same with, with Celtic as well. It became that line and out thing, as you oh. say, this applies to everything. And social media can be a good thing, but it can also be a horrible yeah, thing as well. It can be really toxic. There's a point I like to make as well. Mm-hmm. Like Sheffield United announced that McBurney got injured, obviously, the other day. Aye. And like, you can think what you like about the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Think he's shy, think he's not good enough. Shy, but yeah. the amount of people that were replying... And tagging him in it and saying, "Good God, he's missing the Euro." I mean, I don't understand where that comes from. Like that's just nice, at the end of the day. Like, I personally, the end of that, and having thousands of people saying, "I'm glad you're injured," and you're not going to, you're not going to make one of the biggest events of your career. It's just feels pretty low to me. Listen, I've no time for the guy. I think he's hopeless. But that is nastiness, you know, to do, to, to do that, you know. And I could easily be petty back and say, with his petty antics, antics with things around the Sheffield United in the huddle and stuff, but. That's just nastiness. I mean, I do think that sometimes um, the people who... And there's two people that date at Celtic, you know, who run the Twitter account. Um, they date it because they know they're going to upset the fans because they get so much mm-hmm. abuse, you know. Um, I'll, I'll take you back. I don't know. I think I told this story on the show. Maybe no, but I'll tell it again. Peter Lowell didn't understand, doesn't understand social media at all. He thinks he does, but he doesn't have a clue. And, um, you know, for years, Celtic had fucking hummed and hawed about having a Twitter account and all this kind of thing. And I think it was because... The person who was running at the time was trying to work out how his profile wouldn't diminish when, you know, another profile was built, so it's saying. 
eventually they did. And one of the things that Lowell had said to the, one of the people who runs it now is, you know, this is when Ronnie Dyler was the manager, you know, if you get any grief on Twitter, let me know. Right? So we went up to Aberdeen, I think it was 2014 or 15, and it um, was like 2015 it was, and we got beat 2-1, and we got 10,000 negative comments in the first hour. So so what, what exactly you made idea about that? Can I mean? I was not allowed any bother, okay? It's 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 a difficult because tons of people just sit on social media trying to make people's lives miserable, miserable, you know, Aye. and and it can be horrible. But um, I think the clubs do recognise like the power of social media in general, like what it can do for them. Mm-hmm. But I don't think enough of them know how to use it, nah. and they're too they're too. I don't know if they can't afford it or they're just it's something they're not wanting to invest in. They need proper professionals that understand the medium to, to like. I mean, see that. I mean, I know I always slag them off, but see like that. Um, what's your crazy uh, Robert Borfick that does the thing on the, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. view for the test. I get what he's trying to do, but I I didn't find it that funny. You know, I feel it. It's that's what they're doing is basically gone. Look at the stupid people. Ha ha ha. Right, which I think is a quite a dangerous kind of road to go down. Right. Because, well, in fact, I mean, I don't know how much to say about this. I know somebody who got sacked for one of the things they'd done, you know, by highlighting something that a guy had done on Twitter. Now, the guy was like in his 30s, he made a fucking stupid comment after his team got beat and he ended up getting sacked for it, right? That I think that whole thing is um, horrific and it kind of envelopes into the Neil Lennon videos this week where... You know, whatever anybody thinks of Neil Lennon and this and that, but who the fuck sits with a phone videoing that? I, the Lennon thing was horrible. Like, I didn't understand it. Like, my first thought is seeing somebody pissed like that would, would be to check they're all right, not to film them and take the piss and then shoot abuse for a distance. Well, see, I would, yeah. I would say, I would first check whose round it was. I know. You know? I mean, listen, but, we've all been there. Everybody's got to get fucking... As we come to Auckland, people are going to be in some states. So, uh, to film the guy, uh, what, I, what I think is dangerous as well in the Lennon thing is everybody knows he's had these struggles and stuff, but people are too quick to say, oh, he's struggling or he's toiling or he looks like he's in a bad way. You don't know that. That's just making an assumption, I've, which is as listen, dangerous as... I've had it myself. You know, I've been open and honest about my mental health on public forums, which means that every single time so I see something, somebody disagree with me, then I'm losing the plot. You know, literally, and uh, it's it's horrible when people, all these amateur psychologists, come out and fucking diagnose somebody this, diagnose somebody that. It's fucking disgraceful. But um, the problem is, I think with the with the the bad stuff on Twitter and things like that is, it allows the media and the power people powers that be and all that to dismiss it. You know, to ah mm-hmm. fucking Twitter all head cases on there kind of thing, and the only. You know, of course there's going to be some, you know. But I've read a lot of great stuff on Twitter and I've seen a lot of great things on Twitter and people, places like that. And ultimately, it's probably the only communication with the clubs that fans think they have. Mm-hmm. I know? think as well that clubs tend to ignore that stuff as well when it's mm-hmm. when they're getting abuse. And just ignoring things and no dressing it doesn't help because... So we're getting all the Nielsen out comments and stuff after the, the Brora game. But then the next home game was uh, it was Big Hearts Day, which is Hearts Charity. Aye. So they were tweeting stuff about that, which it's a genuinely they did great work in the community and stuff. And then that just led to them getting abuse because Hearts were retweeting it. And like, ah, you're a fucking idiot if you're if you're getting a charity abuse. Mm-hmm. But it's a byproduct of ignoring the feeling. 
I, I think I think Cobbs didn't realise, uh, as you say, they try and dismiss it as idiots, but it's not idiots. The, pro- it's your fan base. the problem with that, that comes into people who just think that, you know, you shouldn't abuse, you shouldn't, sorry, criticise anything. And it's not, I'm not saying that the charity is worth criticising, but does that mean that they, they can basically then do anything and you kind of criticise them because they're a charity? No. You know, it's not, I mean, that, that happens quite a lot. I mean, the Celtic Foundation, you know, I've, I've, I've criticised them. And I, I didn't understand why they gave money to the British Army and stuff like that. But people didn't understand. Like, you, fucking, you can't say that because they, they all pay alone. Because, oh, you know, oh, how can you say that about a charity? Because I can think for myself and I can actually separate the good work for something I'm not quite happy with. You know, people, and this is the thing where I think the lockdown has opened up a lot of Scottish football to more scrutiny and a lot of it's not really stood up. Hence these Twitter, you know, mm. things that keep kind of, it's really bizarre, really bizarre. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not really going to criticise charities, but I was just mean in this instance, they're a good charity for mm. everything I've seen and Hearts chucked them under the bus by put, putting everything out without addressing any other anger so it just led to all the all the tweets getting that kind of abuse that's when you have a setup and it hurts another which is run on spin and no substance you know mm-hmm. where it's literally fucking Malcolm Tucker saying right do this and do that and we'll look like this and we'll look like that and that Lawwell was obsessed with that at Celtic how things looked it doesn't matter mm-hmm. a fuck how, if you actually done it just how things looked but from that modern age to this historical age, and we're talking just like we went on football programmes because I'm wondering now, Paul, are they actually needed? Are they relevant? Are they necessary? Um, no, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, I don't buy them. I, I've never really have bought them regularly. I know people do, but I, I kind of stopped buying them when my routine it got the matches changed because I used to have it, if I was in the ground for half an hour earlier or whatever, I would buy a programme something to sit and read and get some information. But now with the internet and stuff, like you can get information about the club at the drop of a hat. Aye. You can find out who's playing the youth teams and scores. And that's when it used to be a really good source of information that you couldn't get anywhere else. I mean, um, I remember growing up and there was a place in Spittle Street in Edinburgh called Football Crazy. And it was um, a programme shop. And it was magical, you know, going in. Because mm-hmm. you, you, where else could you get to see programmes for, you know, other clubs and so on and so forth? And even now, there's a guy, you know, you've seen it probably at Almondvale programmes at Albion Road, um, a guy called Brian Johnson, great guy, and all the rest of it. And, but I just wonder, is that the only purpose of them, is to collect them, rather than actually get any information from? I think it's getting getting that way. I Definitely, it's it's more a certain group of people now. Like, prices of them are ridiculous as well, and I know they've got to, they can maybe not sell as much, they've got to try and put the, profit, the money up to make profits. Aye. But like, the price of them for what you get now is... It's pretty poor to be honest. Right. You get a wee puff piece in a manager's comments, and the right. rest tends to be filler. You know it's, what I mean? It's something I thought about because when you said there about the you know buying a program before the game, have you ever had a pro- bought a program before a game and not read it before the game started? No, you know, I don't think so. Um, and I, th- I didn't even buy ones like I used to buy them. Like I didn't even buy them for cup finals and that now. Mm-hmm. And it used to be something you'd keep and you'd, you'd always think, no, that go that many. But I mean, I mean, I've no, I never got them. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one I bought, I think, was five years ago, and I bought it after the match because you could buy it online. Mm-hmm. Because my mate told me there was a good picture of me celebrating a goal against Rangers, and I opened, it, I fucking ordered it, ordered it. It came and it wasn't even me. <laughs> I hope you yeah. charged them for the fucking program then. <laughs> it was like it is so. I was like, I, mean, I know what I look like, a dick. 
Okay, okay. Well, just it was just a wee thought because the programs have to change, you know, or die basically, you know. But uh, just before we move on to our big topic subject at the end, uh, I forgot to pick you up on another bit of tardiness, Paul. <laughs> um, which was we kind of discussed about you know the pubs and places opening. Is it next next that'll be a week on Monday, correct? Uh, I think so. Why? Um, and you kind of intimated, you know, maybe good to go for a meal. I just wondered if you'd booked anything, or actually, <laughs> if it was a throwaway <laughs> comment, or. No, I, I fully intend to, to follow through, but I've not booked anything yet. All no. right, so we'll, we'll pick that up next week. But, I mean, I just like to apply the pressure because you're one of these guys who can throw away comments. A wee bit like Donald Trump does, you know? He just throws away <laughs> stuff and then keep everybody deflects on that. But we'll keep the readers posted because we now know there are people other than me that you're annoying. And therefore, <laughs> you know, we want, they'll, they'll be wanting you to be kept on uh, your toes as much as I do, basically. <laughs> I'm sure, uh, sure no, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Okay, but moving swiftly on. Yes, so we handed ourselves a task here. Not an easy one by any stretch of the imagination. It's something I've never done in my life before. I've done, you know, best 11s and all that, but I've never actually been uh, to the Scotland squad. So what we said is we, we picked our squads for what we think should go into the Euros. There were awareness of injuries and we're not saying this is what Steve Clark will definitely pick or anything like that. It's just a case of this is who we would pick given the circumstances and given the, the power to do it. So, goalkeepers, Paul, I'm assuming you've picked three and I'm assuming your three you've picked is Marshall, Gordon McLaughlin. It's actually no. Oh. I, picked, um, I picked Marshall, Gordon and Liam Kelly from Motherwell. Um, McLaughlin, I think, is a very good goalie, but he's not playing. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's an issue. Plus, Kelly's quite young, and I think we've got like Marshall and Gordon are, are Marshall and Gordon are good goalkeepers. We've got to start into the future soon. So to get somebody embedded in the squad could be a, a good opportunity. I think. I mean, it's good that you've thrown the cat among the pigeons straight away. Because I mean, I, I only threw McLaughlin in. But for laziness, quite frankly, because he's always kind of there about, he never really seems to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think McLaughlin's a very good goalie. Like I watched him at Hearts, obviously, but if they're not playing, I think I think it's hard to. But he probably will go because he's third choice. You know what I mean? But aye, I, mean, I, I, I probably. One of the big feelings of Celtic season was not just the fact that Forster was allowed to no come back, but that Gordon was allowed to go, and although you know it's like um, he's obviously of an age now. He's still pretty reliable, pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the fact that he never fucking smiles. Um, <laughs> what about okay? What about your fullbacks? Who are you picking? Right, so um, I've went for O'Donnell and Palmer, William Palmer at right back, mm-hmm. and uh, Robertson and Tierney at left back. Well, yeah. Tierney will probably play centre half, but he's either be able to cover if needed. Aye, but I mean, that assumption Tierney will make it. Well, well right. I, I mean, I believe that the they're saying you know it's probably a wee bit better than the first original, but still, obviously, he's not. I've got to have played a lot. Um, I've got Tierney in there. I've got O'Donnell in there. Um, I've got Taylor in there. Right. Um, because I'm not looking at Tierney playing left back. Um, and I've obviously got Robertson in there. I didn't have Palmer in there, I'll tell you, and this will shock everybody, I'll probably get shot. You know what I've put in from my other right back is Nathan Patterson. I was, I was actually going to say, he was in my thoughts, um, but I, I just don't know if it's maybe coming quite a bit well, soon from him. Is, I mean, he, played, he had a decent first half today, but only, I think you've got to caveat that with the fact he's playing against Laxell. Second half, Taylor, I thought, handled him pretty easily. 
but he's clearly strong. He's got pace, um, and he's you know busting with enthusiasm. I think you know it's a guy that if, I'm not. I didn't expect him to play a game or anything like that. But if O'Donnell got injured, for example, or we're in a game where we're backs are against the wall, he might be an outlet to bring on and that. Yeah. He actually reminds me. You're talking about him last week. He actually reminds me of Alan Hutton in his prime. He you take up the park, um, so that 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 was what I mean. As I say, Tierney's in there, and it's you know diagnosis is slightly better than it was last week, but um, you know you don't know, and I didn't expect him to play left back anyway. Robertson obviously, oh. O'Donnell uh, and Greg Taylor. I think I mean, fucking couldn't believe he was playing. Couldn't believe it. But the thing with Tierney, I've picked Robertson obviously left back, but if there was any injuries, Tierney I think would cover. And in an emergency, Palmer can play there as well. So like partly why I put Palmer in as well, he can play more than uh, one. I mean, position. Tierney's actually. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Tierney was bought or was at least bid for by some really big club. I'm not saying Arsenal's not a big club, obviously, but, you know, you see how good he is and you see how much better he's got and all that. He's fucking phenomenal. I mean, he's fit. He's he's, he's absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, my centre-half's Paul, right? I've went for Declan Gallagher, mm-hmm. Grant Hanley, mm-hmm. uh, Scott McKenna, and a wild card in there of Stephen Welsh, we are looked to the future. Aye, it's not not bad choice. I didn't see that. I've got. I mean, it's just to say, it was Stephen Welsh. I've said it last week. Sorry, um, he said a very consistent season. You know, very strong. He's getting stronger and stronger, faster, faster and fitter every week. And I think I'm not saying he would play, but I think it would do the world good for a guy like that, who you would go to think is going to be in Celtic's first team even next season, to actually get a tasty. You know the international setup. Yeah, I I think well, it's no that we're particularly strong. Mm. I've got a, an extra centre half in there, and mm-hmm. um, so I've got Gallagher, McKenna, Hanley, mm-hmm. but my other two are um, Liam Cooper, Leeds captain. Mm-hmm. I think he's solid enough uh, as backup. And uh, actually, I would never have done it in a million years, but I thought he'd done well in the last set of fixtures. Was Jack Hendry playing in a three? Oof. I think I, I just think he's got well. a bit of Did they don't get substituted at half time in the game. He played well against Austria, though. I, I thought, I, because we changed our shape in Israel. Um, but I think I think he's got a a bit of athleticism in that. I wouldn't be starting him. Benji, I wouldn't have had Hanley in my squad before the last set either. But I thought he was an absolute it's, rock it's for us. Sort of Jack Henry thing was the guy he was marking. Did he not score two goals against for Austria? I, one of them was great cross right on his head. Six foot eight. Um, but it's more as well looking to the future because he's still young enough that he could be involved in the future um, going forward. So we need, we need to start looking at some of these guys, I think. Oh, well, controversial. Okay, um, centre midfielders, not wingers, not strikers, centre midfielders. Mm-hmm. I have got Kenny McLean, yep. Scott McTominay, John McGinn, obviously, Stuart Armstrong, Ryan Christie, David Turnbull. Now, you might think that's my wild card day. You're thinking, oh, he's put Turnbull in that. It's not. Because this is another one I think would benefit the experience. I think he's getting better and better. Is Lewis Ferguson. Mm. I'd like to see him in there. Um, it's obviously the strongest part of Scotland's team and squad. You know, it's felt like a never-ending list of centre um, field players. But I think Turnbull was fucking... I mean, he was a great game of the day again. Turnbull's a great fucking player. You know what I mean? And we'd have probably been in squads now had it not been for the strength of it. Armstrong to me is a fucking hit or a miss. You know, he's sometimes gonna Christie, you know, I've already made my thoughts clear. McTominay is a must pick. 
I think um, if you pick it, if you everybody available, I think um, McTominay, Tierney, Robertson, uh, and again are four big guys you just can't leave out. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think I've opened Tom as well, but I think he might end up playing right side of our back three. Mm-hmm. And maybe not so much now with, with Jack going and Jordan. Uh, that's what I was thinking. I mean, Jack, whatever anybody thinks about him, is he's a kind of perfect foil for guys like McGinty, bust forward, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, Armstrong's the only real doubt for me because I think he's a better. He thinks he's a better player than he actually is. Um, and let's face it, he can never be forgiven for the England game in 2017. <laughs> Just fucking kick it the pub or go left. <laughs> um, so who have you got central midfield wise? Pretty similar, to be honest. Um, Christie, Armstrong, McTominay, McLean, McGinn, Turnbull. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got McGregor as well. I'd class him as sort of central player. Aye, McGregor, player. I've got him. Aye, I'll take him. Aye, so that's my... Okay, so, on, so wingers, uh, I've really only got three. Right, and if and they are James Forrest, who hopefully is back fit, uh, Ryan Fraser, who I'm kind of classing as a winger, and Ryan Gold, I think, is playing really well in Portugal, and there's maybe that wee guy you can bring off the bench when it's not quite happening. That might make Hi, things um, happen. Weirdly, I went for the exact same three. <laughs> I, I I thought having Gold now would be a bit of well well card to go for, but um. Uh, he's had a great season like, but his team are struggling but he's been excellent mm-hmm. Like he's, he's rated as one of the highest like creators in the league and stuff and he's got teams looking at him I think Braga are after him mm-hmm. and they're looking at Champions League spots like, I've seen highlights of him playing against uh, Sporting Lisbon the other night and he, he put two or three absolutely like, tremendous defence spotting passes in uh, I think he's just got that wee bit sort of something a bit different in his locker as well that we didn't really have like Fraser's a good great player but his pace you know what I mean he's direct He's not going to pick a great like he might he's, he's got it but I mean gold I think is the kind of guy who could unlock something. Mm-hmm. Forrest is in there for um, he's a bit hit or miss for Scotland but well, he's I disagree got with that, pure but... base that we lack with I, I, th- I think he's something and I think Clark likes him as well so mm-hmm. I think he's got a decent chance if he finishes the season well. Okay, well, I believe that will leave you with four players. It does. Yeah. Uh, strikers are Shea Adams, mm-hmm. London Dykes, Kevin Nisbet. And Lee Griffiths. And I tell you, the reason I picked Lee Griffiths, which is probably the only sort of thing, is we still know what he can do coming off the bench, three kicks, so on. It's I'd put that in long before I'd put in a Shankland or even if he was fit, McBurney or anybody like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mines are pretty similar, to be honest, but I've got Shankland instead in this bit. But I've got Griffiths, it's the same reason that he's not had a great season... He's, he's no looking the sh- he's looks pretty sharp when he's playing but there's doubts over how long he can last in that. but for me Dykes and Adams are going to be your guys that are starting mm-hmm. almost stick on and if you, as you see if you've got 20 minutes to go and you're needing a goal Griffiths is the guy I think mm-hmm. you know what I mean like, there's nobody else like that no I mean, if to I... be honest I was actually thinking about Ben and Shanklin and putting an extra midfielder in because I think we'll play one up top so what's, and, your, uh, what's your reasoning for putting in Shanklin over Nisbet I just think I think he's had a, a decent second half of the season. He's already been involved. I think Nisbet's been a bit hit or miss recently. Like, and I, I'm not sure he's all round. Mind you, the same exact same thing could be levelled at Shankland that I'm mm. not convinced by his all round game. Um, but it's, it's it could be either or. To be perfectly honest, aye. I think it's... I think we're really light up top, which is why I've been mm. taking Griffiths. 
I mean, you know, I think what he'll do, it's difficult. He could end up doing, especially against um, quality opposition, right? Um, you know, you'll play Dykes or Adams and have McGinn off them. Um, but having said that, right, um, I think that the big game for Scotland is England, right? And I'm not just saying that because of the rivalry, because you can't get emotional in this game, right? As if we can get through the group, I think Scotland have got a really good chance of getting to like the semi-finals of that. I really do. Because I think players will grow in stature as the tournament goes on. I think the belief will start to realise actually we're no bad here. Um, I think we've got some really top players that have, you know, proved themselves all over the place. Um, it's the fucking emotion of the England game that worries me, right? Because I think See in nineteen ninety six we had the England game go beat two 0 and all that. If that hadn't been if that had been the arse over Elbin with Drewy Holland, I think we'd have taken three or four off of Switzerland in the last game. But mm. you know I mean it's draining for supporters to watch these games, never mind for players. Aye, I, um, I think it's I think it's you're right, didn't get involved emotionally, but some groups three teams might go through. So I think we should be the, the home games at Hamden. Mm. I think if you target Croatia, Croatia are clearly a good team, right, in the World Cup finals and stuff. But they're an ageing team and they've not been in great form recently. Mm-hmm. If you can tar- target them, and we've got a good record against the Czechs as well, I think if you could take four points off that, it should get you through. But if it's in third place, that then gives you a harder route in the, in the knockout stages. Yeah. But I think we've got a right chance of going through, to be honest. I think we've got to believe in ourselves. I think our midfield and Robertson and Tierney are as good as most things in, mm-hmm. that, in that tournament. Uh-huh. I mean. uh-huh. Well, see, the other thing about it, I didn't see... An outstanding team in a tournament. Mm. I still say France teams. are probably the France strongest. France are free the favourites, right? No doubt about that. But Germany are in transition. Mm. England are a machine in qualifiers. We all we all know that. But if Kane does actually miss it, hopefully, um, and stuff like that, know there are a lot of players there. Their fullbacks are really good. I like England's fullbacks, but uh, you know, I wouldn't be totally scared of them. Um, he tends, yeah, has a tendency to play three at the back as well, which doesn't mm, suit England, nah. in my opinion. It, it completely loses their midfields and wingers are where their real strength is, and it ends up being wing backs. Aye. I mean, we've seen the quality of other teams, Belgium and so on. Um, yeah. Spain always there or thereabouts in that, Italy, whatever. But there's no, I mean, France would be the favourites, I th- I'd say, aye, definitely. Um, but I don't have an inferiority complex going into this. No. Maybe, well, when I say, I say our midfield is as good as anything in the tournament I was clearly meaning like around a certain level but not as good as the top teams but we've got guys in there that shouldn't be scared of anything McTominay and McGinn in the middle against England they'll fancy their chances in there you know what I mean the well, I, we can... I mean if you think about it I was thinking about the day because obviously Strachan was doing the um, punditry at the Celtic game the game against was it Slovenia the two old draw we could qualify aye he had McGinn and McGregor on the bench that day and they're absolute mainstays of the Scotland squad. And you think to yourself, if he'd actually gambled. I remember talking to the chief about it. I said, you know, McGinn and McGregor were playing out their skin at the time, club level. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'd recently just played in a, a two-all draw where they, both of them scored the four goals. And for whatever reason, you know, fucking Strachan decides to come out after the game and say, oh, well, we've got all midgets in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Well, there's two midgets here that could have won you the fucking game. I was actually just going to make that point. When you look at our team now, it's guys like Robertson, mm. Tierney, McGinn, like McGregor. They're all wee guys. They're no massive guys, you know what I mean? But they're our best players. Aye, 
I mean, it just makes his argument even more nonsense. I, I, I always thought about Tierney that if he was three inches taller, he would be one of the best centre halves in Europe, and that's where he'd play. I actually had a conversation a few years ago with Andy Lynch, who's with for Celtic, and he mm-hmm. said that he said I can't see Tierney staying at left back. So I mean, he goes, he goes, I played left back, full back. He said you're wasted. You're not involved in the game enough. Guys is as good as him needs to be involved in the game there, and that's kind of what's happened. Arteta's looked at him and went back three and, um, you know, Clark's done similar, pushed him forward and so on. Um, but I, I think I, he's still at international level. He's maybe not quite as tall as some of the best in the half, but playing in a three suits him perfectly because he gets that licence to go forward knowing he's covered. But teams in international football rarely go long, so your height mm-hmm. isn't as much an issue if you're reading the game's mm-hmm. good. No, and Tierney's is brilliant. So... Anybody, this this whole we need a big strong centre half nonsense, you know, like like Barcelona had for years and all that. Aye, Ken Puyo. Um, aye, but I, I tell you anything, right? This might sound a bit soppy, but we're about to have in the next two three weeks an election, which is going to divide everybody again. I actually hope people can stop. We can actually see the benefits of having your own country and more supporting the the, the the national team, and hopefully that knock-on effect you'll be kind of going through the tournament. Because let me tell you something, as someone who's going to be 47 in June, if Scotland, for the first time in their history, managed to progress through the group stage, this country is going to just stop deed. And it's all anybody's going to be talking about, thinking about, drinking about, everything, you know? Um, and I would absolutely love that to happen. Another thing uh, I'm going I, to say... I think it's... Sorry, sorry. If I finish it up, Paul, good, go on. No, I was just going to say, I think you're bang on. I think we've almost lost a whole generation of fans as well that didn't support Scotland or, mm-hmm. or didn't care about them mm-hmm. because we never did anything. Mm-hmm. And I think, I genuinely believe it just takes us doing well aye. at a certain level oh God, to get people excited again. And I think this tournament can do it, definitely. Um, so that well, we'll wrap it up there. Um, we've got things on record. We've, uh, we've heard Paul say on record he is going to book a table this week or hopefully even tonight. Just nip, nip it in the bud straight away. But I'm going to see something now, which is, it's a twofold thing actually, right? And so basically, after I've said the first thing, if you're not a Celtic supporter, you're not interested, just switch off, because it's not really for you. I want to, it's the second anniversary yesterday, a good friend Brad Welsh, and um, he continues to be remembered and revered, and uh, I'm sure he's uh, sorting people out wherever he is. And the last thing I want to say is, this is directed towards Dominic Mackay, and in Celtic and Dominic Mackay was at Ibrox today first time I've seen him at a Celtic game as a board member or not a board member sorry like a Celtic employee I hope Dominic Mackay you watch that game today and realise that this is no a quick fix that you realise that this isn't a half arse situation that you realise we have actually got some really good football players who are not coached and managed properly the example I would give you is Chelsea were in a similar position back at the turn of last year where they had a club legend in charge and they all loved him and you know many would never hear a word against him. But the decision had to be made to release him for his contract to bring in a guy who was better suited to the job and to the players he had. We never done that. And if we had done it, we would probably still be challenging for the league title right now and we probably wouldn't be out the cup in the second round like we were out the league cup we never done that Chelsea done it and look at them now FA Cup final Champions League semi-final fighting for the Champions League in the league all because they've brought in a guy who knows what he's doing I've got no grudge to bear about John Kennedy 
you know, he seems a nice guy, or everybody says, ah, he's a nice guy, or this, that thing. That doesn't matter. What Celtic need is a blue leader and a winner. So forget the notions of the past where we decide to half-arse everything and they're just enough policy and we just want to keep a wee bit ahead of Safeco. Forget all that nonsense. Because what we need now at Celtic Park is a revolution. And that includes getting rid of players who didn't fancy it. It includes getting rid of employees who have feathered their nests for a year and a day and now are struggling to see why they should still be at the club. Because I hope you are as well. We have a PR department that doesn't engage with supporters. We have an academy, which is an absolute fucking shit show. And we have a club that has one person who communicates with the fans. His name's John Paul Taylor. He's a Celtic FCSLO, if you're not already aware. The rest of them didn't want to know. And that's why we're in this position. We're in this position because of self-entitlement and a refusal to accept that fans are actually knowledgeable. Because those same similar fans that you criticised back in October, and I'm talking about the club here in Lawwell, knew what was coming. They could see the signs of what this shit show was going to produce. And what it's produced is a trophyless season, which we've done before and we can come back for again. And it's produced a club right now that's on its knees. So I say to you, Dominic Mackay, you start the job tomorrow, get started fucking early. Because believe you me, it's massive. And that, in the much in the Jerry Springer mould, was Paul Larkin's final thought. So we shall see you next week. Thanks for listening, and we'll leave you with this. Kiss me.